Hey everybody, nice to be here. One of the things I've uh, found in my experience as a pastor is how much disappointment damages people's lives. Uh, not just their spiritual lives, but their whole life. And often how we deal with major disappointment really affects uh, who we are as people. Can you imagine what it must have felt like for a young man who for 30 years had been preparing himself to do something? Uh, he was born into a particular kind of family, which meant that he was destined, whether he chose to or not, to become a certain kind of person. And it was something that was drummed into him his entire life. It was an immensely privileged position that he had. The, the, the job that he was being groomed for was, was one of the most important jobs in his entire nation. And, and he was going to get to step into that role when he turned 30. 29 years up to that had been preparing him for that job. I wonder what it felt like for him when he ended up being in a situation where he knew he would never be able to fulfill that destiny. That that opportunity was forever taken away from him. I'm talking about a young man by the name of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest. He was born into a priestly family in Israel. Because of that, he was, he was chosen to one day serve in God's temple and possibly one day, just once in his life, to go into the Holy of Holies to present the sacrifice for sin on behalf of the entire nation. I want to remind you that not only was this a, an immensely privileged job that only one person got to do once a year, but, but that at that time, in that temple, God's physical presence was inside the Holy of Holies. And, and so, so it wouldn't have just been a, a, a great ritual experience he would encounter on behalf of his whole nation the living God in all his holiness. And it was taken away from him. And it was taken away from him because he was an exile. Because God's people had turned their back on God's holiness and God had sent them into exile in Babylon. And so this young man by the name of Ezekiel, on his 30th birthday, the day he was supposed to begin to serve in God's temple, finds himself somewhere else. Let's read together from Ezekiel chapter 1. In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was living with the exiles by the river Kibar, the heavens opened and I saw a vision of God. It was the fifth day of the month, in the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, that God's word came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, on the banks of the Kibar River, in the country of Babylon. 
God's hand came upon him that day. This is what he saw. I looked. I saw an immense dust storm coming from the north, an immense cloud with lightning flashing from it, a huge ball of fire glowing like bronze. Within the fire were what looked like four creatures vibrant with life. Each had the form of a human being, but each also had four faces and four wings. Their legs were as sturdy and straight as columns, but their feet were hoofed like those of a calf, sparkling from the fire like burnished bronze. On all four sides, under their wings, they had human hands. All four had both faces and wings, with the wings touching one another. They turned neither one way nor the other, they went straight forward. Their faces looked like this. In front, a human face. On the right side, the face of a lion. On the left side, the face of an ox. And in back, the face of an eagle. So much for the faces. The wings were spread out with the tips of each pair touching creatures on either side. The other pair of wings covered their bodies. Each creature went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit went, they went. They didn't turn as they went. The four creatures looked like a blazing fire or like fiery torches. Tongues of fire shot back and forth between the creatures and out the fire. Bolts of lightning. The creatures flashed back and forth like strikes of lightning. As I watched the four creatures, I saw something that looked like a wheel on the ground beside each of the four-faced creatures. This is what the wheels looked like. They were identical wheels, sparkling like diamonds in the sun. It looked like they were wheels within wheels, like a gyroscope. They went in any one of the four directions they faced, but straight, not veering off. The rims were immense, circled with eyes. When the living creatures, wherever the living creatures went, the wheels went. When the living creatures lifted up, the wheels lifted up. Wherever the spirit went, they went. The wheels sticking straight right with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures went, the wheels went. When the creatures stopped, the wheels stopped. When the creatures lifted off, the wheels lifted off. Because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures was something like a dome, shimmering like a sky full of cut glass, a vault over their heads. Under the dome, one set of wings was extended towards the other, and another set of wings covering their bodies. When they moved, I heard their wings. It was like the roar of a great waterfall, like the voice of the strong God, like the, voice, like the noise of a battlefield. When they stopped, they folded their wings. And then, as they stood with folded wings, there was a voice from above the dome over their heads. Above the dome, there was something that looked like a throne, sky blue, like sapphire, with a human figure towering above the throne. From what I could see, from the waist up, he looked like burnished bronze, and from the waist down, like a blazing fire. Brightness everywhere. The way a rainbow springs out of the sky on a rainy day. That's what it was like. It turned out 
to be the glory of God. When I saw this, I fell to my knees, my face to the ground. Then I heard a voice. Last week, Jacques began to unpack what it means for us as human beings to encounter God's holiness and how important it is that, that we as God's children not shy away from God's holiness, from his holy presence, from, from the holiness of his being. In fact, that we go further than that, that we enter in to, to our shared holiness that God gives to us as his people. I can imagine poor Ezekiel. What a picture. If you're like me and you've got a good imagination, it's just that power and that, that, those lights. Because what he was seeing was God's glory that used to be in the Holy of Holies in the temple. God's holiness. And here it was on the banks of a river in Babylon. I wonder if he thought to himself, this is not supposed to be here. This is supposed to be back in the temple in Jerusalem. God doesn't live here in Babylon. This is a pagan nation. We've been sent here to be punished. This is wrong. God's glory is back in the temple. But if you read a little further, you will discover that God tells Ezekiel, no, no, Ezekiel, this is my glory and I'm here and I'm here, Ezekiel, because, because my people turned their back on me. And because they, they despised my holiness and, and, and just wanted to use me as, as, as something to help them get ahead and to conquer other nations rather than to worship me as the living God, I sent them into exile. And now I'm going to actually take my glory out of the temple. I'm going to take my holiness out of the temple and I'm bringing it right here to you in Babylon. God is telling Ezekiel, my people disconnected from me and my holiness and they're paying the price. But here I am to reconnect them. Here I am to show them that my holiness isn't restricted to one place. That I am a holy God, but I'm also a loving God, and I, so I will pursue people. And Ezekiel begins to understand that just like us, just like every human being, we need to encounter God's holiness. Not just every now and again, not just on the odd occasion, but wherever we are in our lives. If we are to be the true people of God, if we are to follow Christ, if we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, if we are to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, if we are to be transformed as, as individuals and to be transformed as a church community and to transform the world out there, we have to encounter God's holiness. The first reason we have to is for the health of our souls. 
We have to encounter God's holiness for the health of our souls. It's why people went to the temple. So that, so that they could receive forgiveness, so that they could make the sacrifice. And we know that Jesus has made that sacrifice for us. But it doesn't mean we just leave it there. Like God's people, we must go back, not to be forgiven again, but to encounter God in all his awesome presence. Because that's, for them, that was the only place they could encounter God like that in the temple. And so for the sake of our the souls of our souls we must encounter the living God in all his holiness because we need cleansing but also because we need refreshing. I suspect that when temple worship was at its best and at its height after the festivals and after Yom Kippur and after the sacrifices that God's people would go out from the presence of God in that temple just with joy and with singing. That the Bible speaks about that. We will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. That happens when we as God's people encounter God in his holiness. It is healthy for our souls because it cleanses and refreshes us. But there's a second reason that you and I and Ezekiel and all God's people also need to encounter the, the magnificent holiness of God. It is so that we can live our lives as holy people. You see, because, because God's holiness is given to us. And, and the Bible reminds us, we are often reminded that we are a, we're a holy people. We are a chosen generation. And so we need to encounter God's glory so that we can live out his holiness in our everyday life. Listen to what Psalm 46 has to say to, to a group of people in turmoil and, and what the holiness of God will mean to them living their lives. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is with her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. This passage tells us that, that when we encounter God's holiness, it, is, it, is, it empowers us. It empowers us to live our lives in all the hustle and bustle and the danger and the uncertainty. Holiness enables us to live our lives like a river enables life to spring up, not just on its banks, but all around it. Folks, we have to encounter the holiness of God so that we can live out our lives in the world every day. There's a third really, really important reason why we need to encounter God's holiness. And it is so that we can 
experience God's direction in our lives. We need to encounter God's holiness so that we can experience the direction of God in our lives. Do you see how that passage ends? This is the last verse of Ezekiel chapter 1. When I saw all this, I fell on my knees, my face to the ground, then I heard a voice. You know, you could cheat. You can flip over and you can go to chapter 2 and you can see who that voice is, who speaks. But I'm sure that you don't have to cheat. You know, it is the voice of God. And it's the voice of God to this young priest who was lost, who, whose purpose was never going to be fulfilled, who, who suddenly found himself in a place where he couldn't do the thing that he, that, that, that he had been birthed into the world by God to do. If anybody needed new direction, it would have been Ezekiel. In the middle of that, he gets God's voice. And God begins to tell him the direction of his life, the new direction. And I've got to be honest with you, it's not all easy. In fact, if you read the book of Ezekiel, you will, you will discover that some of the stuff God asks Ezekiel to do is incredibly difficult. And some of it is incredibly weird as well. I'd encourage you to read the book. But nevertheless, he encounters God in all his glory and his holiness, so that he can get direction for his life. I wonder if you are wondering, what's life going to look like after COVID? What's the next step for me? How are things going to happen for me? You should ask all those questions. But one of the places you must ask that question is in the presence of the Holy God in a place where you encounter God in all his glory and all his magnificence. Just to go back to that picture. Did you notice how scary it was? I mean, all that fire, all that flash, all that light. Did you notice that those creatures could move in any direction? picture of God's glory and God's power. A picture of the fact that all of God is everywhere, that God is not restricted in his movements, that even the holiness of God is not restricted in his movements. It can go up, it can go down, it can head off in any direction. Did you notice that, that those creatures had different faces? God's holiness isn't just about us as human beings. God's holiness is about the whole world. Encountering God's holiness is something that every one of us as followers of Jesus need to experience for ourselves. But we also need to experience God's holiness for the sake of the world. This long book of Ezekiel, 47 chapters, begins with one man encountering God in his holiness next to a river. But listen to what it ends like. God gives Ezekiel a 
the picture of a new temple, a brand new temple that is surrounded by all of God's people. Now, for Ezekiel, that meant Israel, but we understand that it meant, means everybody in the whole world. Now he brought me back to the entrance to the temple. I saw water pouring out from under the temple porch to the east. The temple faced east. The water poured from the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then stood me, took me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the gate complex on the east. The water was gushing from under the south front of the temple. He walked to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was ankle deep. He measured out another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee deep. He measured out another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. He said, son of man, have you had a good look? Then he took me back to the riverbank. While sitting on the bank, I noticed a lot of trees on both sides of the river. He told me, this water flows east, descends to the Arabah, and then into the sea, the sea of stagnant waters. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Whenever the river flows, life will flourish. Great schools of fish, because the river is turning the salt water into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Fishermen will stand shoulder to shoulder along the shore from Engedi all the way north to En Eglaim, casting their nets. The sea will teem with fish of all kinds, like the fish of the great Mediterranean. The swamps and marshes won't become fresh. They'll stay salty. But the river itself on both banks will grow, like, will grow fruit trees of all kinds. Their leaves won't wither. Their fruit won't fail. Every month they'll bear fresh fruit because the river from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit is for food and their leaves for healing. Here's a picture. We're back. God's people are living in holy connection with their holy God. And what happens? A river of life flows from there. And it's so powerful, it changes everything. It, it, doesn't, just, it doesn't just water the land. You see that picture? It turns the salt sea, the Dead Sea, that's that picture, into a fresh stream. And people can fish. There's a connection to another story. I will make you fishers of men. And trees will grow that will produce food and leaves that heal not once, but every month. God's family, we, we need to encounter God's holiness, not simply for our own sake, but for the sake of the world. Because when we do, rivers of living water will flow from us. And it will be for salvation, for food, and for the healing of the nations. We're not like Ezekiel. We don't have to go to a temple or have a vision to experience God's glory. The Word of God tells us that God lives within us. But God's glory is something that you and I have to pursue. 
It's something we have to intentionally seek. Sometimes we find it when we worship together with other believers. And sometimes we find it when we're on our own, connecting with God through scripture or prayer. Sometimes we find it when we're out in nature, but we need to pursue it, not for our pleasure, but for encountering God. I wonder if your encounter with God and your natural ways to connect with him have become a bit stale. You've gotten used to going to the temple. You've gotten used to doing it this way or that way. I want to encourage you to open yourself up and say, God, show me your glory, whether I'm sitting by the river where I'm not supposed to be, whether I'm grappling with my disappointment of, of an unfulfilled life, wherever I am, Lord, when I'm looking after three kids trying to homeschool, when I'm doing my job at work, wherever I am, God, show me your glory. Show me your power. Let me experience your holiness. Let us pursue God's holiness. Because when we do that, river will flow out from us. And this is the promise that God gives right at the end of the book of Ezekiel. From now on, the name of the city will be Yahweh Shammah. God is there. Lord, help us as your people, to pursue your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.